hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. Rodney Smith, you probably haven't heard of him. Um, His nickname was Gypsy Smith. He was born on the outskirts of London in 1840, so just a few years ago. And he he came to be one of the great revivalists of that late uh, 19th century. He travelled often from the UK to to, um, the Americas, and he just, every day or every second day, he was out preaching. And pretty much every time he preached, he saw people come to faith. They basically said, revival is on Gypsy's heels. Uh, That was one of the, the, the statements that was made about him. And even though he had humble beginnings, he met with presidents at the White House, he um, lectured at Harvard, and got, went on to do amazing, powerful influence, uh, especially in America. And some people who were uh, passionate about seeing that revival grow and spread, especially in America, said, can we meet up with you? And he said, sure, absolutely, no problem. So um, they met up with Gypsy Smith, Um, And uh, they sat down and their question was, how do we bring revival? Like, God's God's obviously using you to bring revival. How do we bring revival? How do we do what you're doing? And he said this. He said, go home. Each one of you, go home. Go to your bedroom. Lock yourself in your bedroom. Take a piece of chalk. Draw a circle on the floor. And then sit in the circle. And then pray fervently and passionately as you can to God and say, God, bring revival to everyone in this circle. And, uh, and it's a very good point that Gypsy Smith was making is that when God wants to do something in the world, he will start with you. He will start with us. He starts with those who are passionately seeking him, who are earnestly seeking him. And that's what we're called to do. We are called to earnestly seek God, are we not? Because it's in his presence, as we saw last week. It's as we come into his presence that we are changed. Something of God's goodness, something of God's holiness, something of who God is, is imparted into us as we worship him. As we worship this morning, you know, even you may not be aware of it or not, but just something of the character of God is being imparted into you when you worship Him. And so continue to worship. Let's continue to gather together. Continue to pray in that that time, you know. If you you want to go home, draw a circle, you know. Even, even, you know, if you don't do it physically because you don't want to ruin the carpet, but find a space where God will bring revival to you. And so last week we looked at the importance of passionately seeking out the presence of God and meeting with God and allowing his character to rub off on you, so to speak. But then what happens next? What's that process of change look like? How does God change us? What has he called us to be? Who has he called us to be? When Jesus said these words, In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he said, Be perfect. That's easy enough, isn't it? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
or another word for it. Uh, it's in, similar in the Greek and even the uh, Hebrew languages. Uh, the, the word for perfect and complete and holy are almost synonymous words. So you'll see in different translations it may use those different words. But be perfect, be holy, as your heavenly Father is holy. Peter picks up the same understanding in his letter where he says, 1 Peter 1, verse 14, as obedient children. Is that us? Are we obedient children? Most of the time. Uh, Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You know, think about it this way. Every work that God does in you, every time he does some surgery in you, every time he challenges you with something, every time he speaks to you, it's actually a holy work. Because God's holy. He can't do anything else, but all his work is always good. It's always perfect. It's always holy. So whenever you come to God and God's doing something in you, he's always working towards this perfection that he's drawing you to. He isn't just healing you for the sake of healing you. He is seeking to make you whole. He's not forgiving you just because it's good to be forgiven, but because he's wanting you to mature. He's wanting you to move on from um, that sin and release that sin from your life so you can move on to righteousness. His goal isn't just improvement, it's perfection. Now that's pretty scary in some ways, isn't it? Because you go, yeah, I've got a little way to go. C.S. Lewis, uh, I was reading a bit of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is a great author. I, I love some of those older um, manuscripts and just what they say. And this is uh, C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. He says this, uh, and I have to take my glasses off because it's a long quote. Um, he, he, he says this, That is why he, Jesus, warned people to count the costs before becoming Christians. Make no mistake, he says, if you let me, I will make you perfect. The moment you put yourself in my hands, that is what you're in for. Nothing less or other than that. But if you do not push me, oh, sorry, you have free will. And if you choose, you can push me away. And sometimes we do that. But if you do not push me away, understand that I'm going to see this job through. Whatever suffering it may cost you in your earthly life, whatever inconceivable purification it may cost you after death, whatever it costs me, I will never rest, nor let you rest until you are literally perfect. Until my father can say without reservation that he is well pleased with you, as he said he was well pleased with me. This I can do, and I will do, but I will do nothing less. I won't do, sorry, but I will not do anything less. I think C.S. Lewis captures this idea so well. That 
Our Heavenly Father has a purpose for our lives. And He doesn't stop just when we, when we give our lives to Him. That's just the start of the process. He goes on with this analogy, which is, I think, is such a good analogy. And again, I know I appreciate it's a long quote, but bear with me here because I think he puts it so well. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. I know that's a little bit weird, but just, okay, imagine it. You don't have this physical body. You're, you are, you're a house. You're not, you, you don't have this physical body. Okay, just go with the analogy here. God comes in to rebuild the house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping up the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. And that's kind of how we start our Christian life, isn't it? He kind of, we stop swearing or we stop doing naughty stuff and we go, well, we kind of figure God would do that. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building a quite different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting an extra floor here, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. A palace that he intends to come and live in himself. See, who we are when God's finished with us is beyond what we can imagine. God has great plans for you. And what he's doing in your life, at some times you go, do I have to go through this or do I have to deal with that difficult issue in my life? Do I have to go through the pain of that? And he goes, yeah, because I'm making you perfect. There is this amazing plan. There is this amazing picture of what he has for you and he's not going to stop until it's complete. In my uh, much younger days, uh, I remember going through this process quite distinctly. Well, I, st I still remember it now, but when I was a uh, fairly new Christian back in the, in the mid-80s, I quite distinctly remember the year 1987. And um, Chris Murphy's here. He, uh, he knew me when I was about 1987. <laughs> and um, a little bit different than when I am now. And, uh, and I remember that year for this reason is at the start of that year, I, I heard some messages that really cut deeply into my heart, and I had to process some really deep things in my life. Have you kind of been there? Have you kind of been through a season like that when God, you know, just, he really gets to some deep things in your life? And I went, okay, okay, God, and so I I repented of some things, I processed some things, I had a big change in my thinking, and then when I thought I was, I was done about halfway through the year, he put his finger on a few more things. And I went, okay, okay, that process was good. Okay, let's keep going. And I kept going. I remember I'd started taking a diary that year, like a prayer journal. And I remember writing this in my journal at the end of the year. I was going, God, man, if we ever have a year like that again, <laughs> like, I, I don't know if I'll cope. Like that was a big year. It was good. And it needed to happen. I, I get that, but I was just reflecting on how big of a year it was. And now I look back some mm, few years later, and I think, 
man, there was nothing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that. Yeah, at the time I thought that was a big deal, but God's taken me much deeper and much bigger and much further than all of that. It is the work of God's grace in us to perfect us, to change who we are, to be more like him, is beyond what we can imagine. But it is a journey worth going on. It is so, so worth it. Because it's a very good work. See, God is good. We've been singing about the goodness of God, right? God is good. And he will do a good work in our lives. And our, our role is to trust him, to trust him with that process. But it will be a deep work. As, as C.S. Lewis says, you know, he will make a palace. He won't just make a quaint little cottage. He's going to complete the work that he has begun. And he will go deep. Why? Because we live out of our, the core of our being. We live from the inside out. And we think that we can just change our behavior without changing our thinking. And God goes, oh, no, 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 no. I've got to go right down. I've got to go deep, deep down and change the deep intent of your heart. Why? Because our words, our actions flow from our heart. Luke 6, verse 45, Jesus said this, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings the things, an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And God wants to fill your heart with Himself. He wants to fill your heart, those deep places in your life, with His holiness, His goodness, right thinking, not stinking thinking. And his call on us is that we cooperate with that process. So why is God so committed to our holiness? Why is he so committed to making this palace and not just settle for a cottage? Because God wants to prepare our character to match with our calling. We see this consistently all the way through the New Testament letters where the authors of the New Testament are saying, guys, you've got to get this. You've really got to get hold of who God has called each one of us to be. We are his children. We are called to partner with him in building his kingdom. And just like if, if you were adopted into a royal family and, and you were presiding over a kingdom and you, you would have responsibilities, there would be expectations on you. You would be setting an example to others. And God goes, this is who you are. You are sons and daughters. You are kings and you are priests in my kingdom. I need to, you to be prepared for that. Paul points this out in the, the book of Ephesians is a really good example of that. We're in the first three chapters. Paul is saying, this is who you are. I really need you to get hold of this. Ephesians 1 verse 4 and 5, he says this, For he chose us. In him, before the creation of the world, none of you are an accident. None of us are here by chance. God intended you to be here. God intended you to be alive when you are alive. God intended you to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus. 
And then Paul goes on to explain for the next two or three chapters the privilege it is that we are called into God's family, the responsibility that that is. And he concludes that whole section in Ephesians 3 verse 20. He says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. It's beyond what we can imagine what God is going to do through us. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Now, what does Paul do once he's, got, he's gone through these three chapters and he's going, guys, if you really get this, if you really understand the call of God that is on your life, where does he go next? Well, this is where he goes. Ephesians 4 verse 1, he says, As a, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Do you get what Paul's saying? What he's saying is that if this is your calling, if you are called into eternity to partner with God in his kingdom, then he's going to do a work in you to make sure you're ready for that. That's why it's so important. That's why we are called to be holy. Not just because it's good to be a holy person, not just that it's good to be a good person, but because you're influencing the world around you. And you will continue to have an influence in the world around you. And now I know some of you might be saying, oh, hang on a minute, you know, hey, I'm not like you. You you stand up there and you talk to people, you know, you're one of these religious professionals and, uh, you know, you've got influence, but I, I, I just go to work every day and I just raise a family, I just, I just do other things. But what we need to see is that ministry, our influence is just relationships. It's not roles that we have. It's not this ministry role that you're given and going, um, now it is that as well. It could be that as well. But it's more than that. Think about the relationships around your life. Think about the children that you have or your husband or wife, or your extended family, your friends. You have an influence over all those people's lives. You have an example that you could be setting to them. In your workplace or in your classroom, wherever you are, the context that you're in, God has placed you there for a reason, and he's placed you there to have an influence. Now, if you have an influence, you have a responsibility you have a way to bring God to that situation. And you need to be prepared for that calling. You need to have character that matches that calling. Excuse me, I'm just going to grab a bit of water. You realize that when you wear a mask when singing, your throat dries out a bit. Have you kind of noticed that? And then if you you go take your mask off and talk, and it's like, ah. So uh, I need to have water close by. Right. So that's the reason. The reason that God has called us to be holy is that he wants our inner life to match our outer life. And I think deep down, we want that too, right? We don't want to be, we don't want to be faking this. We don't want to be speaking all about God and the amazing things that he can do in your life if he's actually not changing our lives. So let's live up. Let's live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. 
Another reason I believe that God is especially highlighting that to us at the moment is that we are living in a season where he wants to increase our capacity as children of God. There are going to be opportunities for us to minister to people, to speak into people's lives. And as we have been sharing about over the last week or two, you know, there is that um, call to prayer, there's a call to seek God's face, a, a call to fast and pray. Why? Because I believe that we're living in a season where God wants to increase our capacity internally so that we're more effective externally. So, let's just recap. We need to cooperate with the process of what God's doing. You know, the, the house analogy. We need to cooperate with the house that he's building. We need to allow God to shape us and let, make us into all that he's called us to be so that our character matches our calling. But how do we do that? Like, where do we start? Let's, let's get practical here. Well, one of the first things to realize is that it's a journey, okay? It's not going to happen overnight. You know, you don't wake up tomorrow morning and go, oh, I'm holy now. Oh, hey, that was pretty cool. That's great. It's great what God does. No, it doesn't work like that. It's a lifetime journey. And it may even extend into eternity. God is already at work in your life. And it's simply a process of cooperating with what he is doing. And you'll find that generally that God will pinpoint a certain thing. Have you noticed that? You know, he kind of just keeps drawing your attention and he might use the scripture and then he uses someone, um, a connect group or some other situation and he just keeps highlighting this little thing that, that you just you need to do some tweaking in your life or maybe a little bit more than tweaking. And God may use various means to do that but let me just be really clear on that one it's not what I'm not saying is that you should ask a whole lot of people and say okay what should I be changing in my life yeah that can be good but the main thing is that you're listening to what God is saying what is the Holy Spirit convicting you of at the moment and it's also not about figuring it out yourself it's not about going home and doing some navel-gazing and going, oh, yeah, I should really get into some self-improvement. Where shall I start? No, it's just about coming into God's presence, drawing close to him. And as you come into God's presence, it'll be really clear that which in your life is just not holy. You just can't bring into God's presence. And you go, yeah, I should deal with that. And rather than pushing it away, Deal with it quickly. I, I look back over my life and I, I see that there were, I must confess, even years where I've held a certain attitude, I don't know, out of pride or, or actually I don't know why I did. I don't know, sometimes, sometimes we're just stubborn. Sometimes we're just, we're just not listening that well. And, I, and eventually I give it up and then God goes, Right, okay, we're moving on now. And, and it's like God just is just going to keep on my case. And I've realized it's better to actually let go early, and it saves a whole lot of pain. Again, coming back to it's like that house analogy. I remember doing some renovation work on some houses early on in our married life. And um, I used to try 
and, and save everything. Um, uh, James Higgs, who used to be in our church, he used to come around and help me with some of the renovations. And I'm like pulling nails out of wood and trying to, you know, because I'm, I'm trying to, you know, salvage everything I can. And, oh, can we reuse this and redo that? And he's like shaking his head going, oh, come on, Warren, just put some new wood in there and hang up some new jib board. You don't have to redo everything. Now, now I, I appreciate that sometimes it's good and recycling a good thing, but sometimes you just got to let stuff go, right? You know, you need to just throw it in the tip and start afresh and start new. And there are so many times in our lives that we are holding on to some negative thinking or some bad attitude. And God's going, come on, just, just let it go. <laughs> and we go, yeah, but, you know, I, yeah. and, and, and it's hard. Could I encourage you, the faster you let it go, the better. Maybe a prayer that you could pray at the moment is, Lord, what character change are you focused on me at the moment? God, what do you want to change and me at the moment. And how do you know it's God prompting those thoughts and leading you to the right thing? Well, you'll know because there is something that you have to let go of. God never brings something good into our lives without us having to let go of something that we're precious about. Mm, yeah, I'm pretty sure about that. <laughs> it's so true. In, in my experience, I've discovered that I'm always holding on to something that God goes, come on, Warren, just let it go. And it's when I let it go that he can then pour in what he wants to pour in, that he can give me something that I can hold on to, something that's much better. But sometimes it just takes me a while to realize that it is good. Remember, God will do a good work, but he will also do a deep work. And I encourage you, let's let this be a season where we allow God to do that deep work in our lives. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.